welcome, welcome to Crossbridge. If you are a guest with us today, I especially want to welcome you and just say thank you so much for, for worshiping Jesus with us. And I want to let you know that my hope for you is the same as it is for every single person who's here, who's watching online. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. And that simply is this, that no matter where you find yourself in your faith today, that you would be able to take one step in your relationship with Jesus, because that is what we are all about here. And we are concluding our homecoming series. And I, I've enjoyed this series. I hope that you have. I know it's been encouraging to be together. It's been challenging, and I've pushed a little bit, and I'm okay with that because I know you're okay with that, and, and I love that we get to do this together. And, and I hope that like two weeks from now, when you come to church and, and you're here, if you're here with us in person, if you're online, you won't see this, but there may, may still be homecoming decorations on the wall. Like, we're, we're still trying to figure out how to get all that down while we prepare to be together. I hope that if you see that stuff, you remember this series and know that there's a home for you, that there's a place that you belong and invited to the table where Jesus sits and says, welcome. And, th and that's what we get to do. But I also know that as we talk about homecoming, there are times that we can be in our families, that we could have a homecoming and still not feel home. I don't know if you've ever felt like this before, but I know when um, I could think of a specific time in my life, I was coming back from my first year in college, and uh, I wasn't even, it wasn't the first year of college, I think I was coming back for Christmas break, and I went to school in Georgia, most of my friends stayed local and all went to, you know, local Jersey schools that they got these great educations, stayed in contact with each other, but I was gone. And when I came back about you know, three, four months later, I hadn't seen anyone. I hadn't co really connected with people because it's not like you're going to sit and text people. That should give you a sign to my age. This isn't what we did, right? It, it, it costs money to text. You're not doing that. So I remember not really having contact with them. When I came home for Christmas, my home was always the place that people hung out. It was always the place that... That, that my friends were, and they would hang out with my parents when I wasn't even there. It was funny. I'd come into them playing pool, and I'm like, oh, that was cool. When I came back, I sat in my living room one night, and all of my friends were over, and, and we're laughing, and we're joking about things, and there came a moment when they started sharing stories with each other that I wasn't part of. And they started laughing about jokes that I, I didn't understand yet. I wasn't a part of it. That, that they even were talking to my parents and my siblings about things that I didn't understand. And I, I wish I knew in that moment what I do now because I sat there feeling isolated in my own home, surrounded by the people that I call family, my friends, my, my blood relatives, and yet feeling like I wasn't home, like I wasn't part of this community because something was happening outside of me, and I knew I was out. Even though I wasn't, in that moment I felt unknown, and I kind of just wanted to be known again. I don't think it matters if you're an introvert, if you're an extrovert. All of us have this desire to be known, to be seen, that, that someone knows who we are, and when we walk into their presence, that we are home. And, and what I know is that to be in healthy relationships, we want to be able at points to let our guard down, to be real with someone, to know that whether it's been a short time or a long time that we haven't seen them or whatever, we all want this. 
I don't need to ask if you've ever felt left out. I don't need to ask if you've ever felt unknown. And the reason I don't have to ask you to show your hands is because every single one of us has felt this. We feel this collectively as a culture. And I sat in my living room and I wish I knew then what I know now. And that's simply this. That you have to work through the awkward to get to the real. You have to work through the awkward to get to the real. In any relationship that we are part of, we want this real. We want this genuineness. Even um, to the point where we kind of elevate the relationships that we have with people to say, you, you, do you ever use this phrase? I love this person because I could just be myself around them. I, I could just be me and be real with them. If we say that, we know that there's people we can't be real with, that, that are not safe. But it also shows this value to the relationships that we want, real. But the problem is, you got to get through awkward to get to real. You can't just land at real. You've got to work through the awkward. I've recognized this is in all relationships. No matter which ones you have, it is there. And we've, again, had conversations with people where you stop and go, oh, that was awkward. Like, that was, that, did you feel that? How weird was that? One of my favorite TV shows is built around the awkward. You know how many episodes of The Office I watch like this? Like, uh, and, and I try to peek through my fingers going, he's not going to say it, don't do that. Uh, 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 you know, that feeling, and I'm like, oh, this is like every relationship we have around us. That's just, there it is. If we expect our relationships in our life, in this homecoming idea, if we expect our relationships to be easy and to be pretty all the time, we are setting ourselves up for failure, for disappointment, and that is going to drive us further away from relationships. And, and here's what I know is thankfully... Jesus was in relationships that were messy. Jesus was in relationships that were awkward and, and make you want to cover your eyes and go, what in the world is happening? And he shows us that, that you have to work through this awkward. If you want to get to the real moments with people, you're going to have to work through this. And Jesus is going to, I'd love to look at some stories about him today that are going to show us how to work through that awkward, what is it going to take for us to get through the awkward to get to the real? And what I'd like to do is look at three different stories found in two different passages today in the Bible and just kind of open it up a little bit and just see what Jesus does in these situations. Now, if you feel like at points it becomes too awkward and you're like, oh, I just need to cover my eyes, like what is this? Go ahead. You could do that. No problem. Make pretend it's like the office Bible style, okay? You could cover your eyes. But if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn with me to the biography of Jesus written by Dr. Luke. Okay, so we will be in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to go to chapter 8 today. And as you're turning there, it's kind of cool to know that the story we're going to start with happens right after a story we talked about two weeks ago where Jesus came back from the other side. Do you remember this encounter he had with a, a demonized man living in the graves and He's not welcome for more than a half a day before he's got to shoot back home. He comes back from the other side, and as soon as Jesus comes back, 
from the other side, he is welcomed by this massive crowd of people that are so excited to see him. And one of uh, the religious rulers, a very, very influential man in this city, finds his way to Jesus. His name is Jairus. Um, say Jairus with me. Jairus. Jairus is, is a really a key figure in our first story. Jairus works his way through the crowd, and as he works his way through the crowd, he finds himself face to face with Jesus, and he says to him, I need your help because my 12-year-old daughter at home, my 12-year-old daughter is sick, and she's dying, and I need you to come back with me. Can, can you heal her? And, and Jesus says, yes, I'm all over it. And so he begins his journey to Jairus' house to heal his daughter. And the issue that comes upon us is that there is this massive crowd pressing upon him. And our second story has to start and our first story has to pause. Take Jairus for a second and, and there is no solution to this story yet. So just, you're going to have to put him on the side for a second. Because something a little crazier is about to happen. This is where awkward is going to set in a little bit. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 42. It's, it reads like this. His only daughter, who was about 12, year old, 12 years old, was dying. As he went with them, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Okay, let's just pause here. We've got a woman who is having bleeding issues for 12 years. The age of this daughter at home who is sick and dying. And she has done everything in her power to be healed of this, to figure out this problem. And it's not stopping. And it, this isn't just a comfort issue that she's dealing with right now. Her condition would have been noticeable in this culture to everyone who was around her. Her condition would have made her, because of her bleeding, a person who was avoided, a woman who was pushed out of that community because she would have been, would have been seen as unclean, as impure. And even her touching you would have meant now that you are unclean, that you are impure. And so what we know because of these laws of the day is this woman isn't just dealing with pain. She's dealing with shame on a level that's so deep that her sheer presence in this mob of crowd shows how desperate she is for healing because every person that she bumps up against according to the law, becomes unclean. She slips into this crowd, inconspicuous as possible, and she touches just the tassel, the end of the robe of Jesus, and she's healed. But Jesus knows it, and he stops and he asks the question, who touched me? Seems like a weird question to ask, doesn't it? We've read over and over. You're surrounded by people. People are packed in around you. Uh, who, who, who touched me? What an awkward question. Um, everybody, everybody's trying to touch you. But I, I think the way he asked it was not normal because the story continues like this. Who touched me? Jesus asked in verse 45. 
Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. Peter's great. Peter's trying to diffuse the situation. Peter is amazing because tense, situa tense situations always get more awkward when someone asks, asks a question and no one answers it. You know what I mean? See? Did you see that? You didn't answer me for three seconds, and then you have to giggle to break that silence, right? Jesus asks, who touched me? And everyone locks, right? No one wants to own up to this. They all deny it. No, 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 no. But again, he presses the issue because Jesus felt a difference in himself, in his power. He knows it. This wasn't just the bump in the crowd like you're in the, you know, the front of a concert. Jesus says, someone deliberately touched me. This word touch in the Greek is, is the word hapto, hapto. And for you English nerds out there, this word right here, this verb is an aortist verb in the indicative mood. For those of you who could care less about what that means, let me tell you why this is important, okay? What that means, that this is an aortist verb in the indicative mood, simply says that Dr. Luke is using one word here to create a snapshot of the whole story. He's using one word to tell a story without having to unpack all of the details of the past like we just did. This story is about a woman whose whole mindset was, if I can just touch Jesus, then sneak away. I'll be better and no one will know that I was here. Jesus doesn't work this way. Please hear me, Jesus does not work this way. This isn't what relationships are about. You can't just say, what can I get out of this relationship? What's in it for me? And then walk away. That's not a healthy relationship. That is an abusive relationship. That's lopsided and wrong. Relationships go two ways, not one way. And here this woman's like, if I can touch, I can go. If I could touch, I'm healed, and no one will know. And so Jesus is calling to the crowd, someone wanted something different from me than everybody else. Who is that person? It's pretty awkward, isn't it? It's about to get more awkward. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, and she fell to her knees in front of him, and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him, and that she had been immediately healed. Now, that last phrase there, explain why he touched him. I love the way the message translation kind of says this. It says that in front of all the people, she blurted out her story. This woman comes out to the crowd. It's as though, like, she wants everybody to know, this is who I am, and I have to say it at this point. They're probably at this moment because they know we're all checking the robes. Did she bleed on me? Did she touch me? How did she get to him? Because if she touched him, then I'm, I, what am I supposed to do? How long do I have to wait? She knows that everyone is doing the very thing she didn't want them to do. Look at her. See her. And in the midst of the whole crowd, what does she do? She blurted out her story. She just made what was kind of awkward into shut your eyes awkward. 
She had to explain some of the most intimate details of her physical life that no woman ever wants to talk about to an entire crowd of people who have pushed her aside because of those very issues. And unloading this must have felt horrible, especially to Jesus, this miracle worker who's above everyone else. And it's like, oh, this is not where I wanted this conversation to go. I just wanted to touch and go. And instead, here I am explaining what's going on. What a mess. You don't share a story like this without the blubbering and the booger tears. The, the, you know when everything is like pouring out and here it is and I can't hold it, I can't do it. And you know how Jesus responds to her? Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Again, I love the way the message puts this. Jesus said, daughter, you took a risk trusting me and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed. Jesus meets this woman right where she is. He doesn't brush off the awkward, does he? He doesn't say, ooh, this is getting weird. Don't say that, don't do this. Like, you don't have to do that here. He lets her be vulnerable. He doesn't stop it. Instead, he celebrates it. Daughter, you took a risk is what he says. You took a risk in trusting me. This is huge because I know that healthy relationships, if we want to get through the awkward to get to the healthy, it's going to take risk. Healthy relationships take risk. Let me say that again. If you have your program, write it down. Write it on the side of your Bible. Healthy relationships take risk. There's no getting around this. And, and this is so big because I think that this is an issue that holds many of us back because we're terrified that people are going to judge us for our stories, that they're going to look at what we have said or look at who we are, look at what we, how we behave and say, you know what? They're going to throw it at my face. They're going to call me out for the things that aren't right. And I'd be lying to you today if I were to say, oh, that won't happen. Take risk. Everyone's safe. That's not true. It's not true. I know that because I've shared parts of my story with people that have disqualified me from, from certain crowds and peoples. That, that It's been used against me as a weapon. But it's also showed me, as I've shared parts of my story with people, to work through the awkward, through that risk to get to healthy, that there are people that I could trust. That I've, I've trusted them with a little, I could trust them with a little more and a little more and a little more into the end where I have such a relationship I could never have dreamed of. When it started, but it took what? It took risk to get through that awkward. And this is never more true than we, when we, like this woman, come before our very creator who calls us to live a life like Jesus and says, this, this is what I want from you. And we're like, but I'm not there. And I cannot tell you why, because it feels so wrong. This is a problem that I've been dealing with for 12 years, and it's not going away. I'd rather just hide it. I'd rather just ask for the touch-and-go prayer. I'd rather just not spend time with you and risk laying it all before you. I'd rather just ask for the, the quick healing and then ditch it and not be committed to you. Can I just do that? never going to work with Jesus this way. He calls us to complete transparency, which is risk. And when we risk our transparency with God and own all our stuff, he looks at us like he looks at this woman and he says, don't, you know, come back in. 
Come back in here. I've got you. You took a risk, and now you're healed and whole. And I will tell you that when we become transparent with God, it will lead to healthier relationships with people around us. This is not just about you and God. This is about the people around us as well. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, Jimmy, what about Jarius? What, what about this? What happened to him? Because everything paused, didn't it? How long did it take her to talk about her story? How many details did she get into? Was this like one of those quick tweets that she said, or are we talking like, you know, a blog of story? What happens? Well, after all this time, Jesus spends with this woman. As soon as it concludes, Jarius gets the news. Don't even bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's died. While you waited here, your daughter died. Kind of doesn't seem fair to me in this moment because what do I know about Jairus? He risked, didn't he? He worked himself through the crowd to get to Jesus. Jesus said yes to him in that moment, didn't he? What happens when you're in a relationship and you risk and it doesn't end the way you expect? Well, before Jairus can say anything with Jesus, I know that he's still fully present. He looks him in the eyes, and in verse 51 of that passage, he says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just have faith, and she will be healed. And while everyone else in this story thinks that Jesus is crazy, they laugh at him, Jairus, do you know what he does? He continues to risk and commit himself to staying with Jesus. And they walk through this crowd, and he's with him, and then they get to his house. And with his wife in hand... He follows Jesus, Peter, James, and John up to this daughter's room. Who's dead? Come on. If we talk about relationships taking risk, what is it? I can't even imagine being in Jairus' situation. You just showed up at home. Your daughter is dead upstairs. Your wife is there probably. It's just a mess. Because maybe you didn't get back fast enough. Maybe things didn't go the way you expected, and yet... He grabs her hand in my head and they walk upstairs. What are the conversations, the wordless conversations that happen with each other? I mean, was this and those looks that they had, were they filled with fear, with anxiety, with confusion? Why are you taking me here? What do you expect out of this? I'd imagine that their eyes are filled with this Level of trust, though, we've been through a lot. A level of understanding. I, I don't know what's going on, but I do trust you. I understand you were with Jesus. This longing, do you think we could have the miracle? And so they risk. And in verse 54, it tells us, Then Jesus took her, the daughter, by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned. While everyone else outside laughed, by risking and placing their hope and trust in a relationship with Jesus, Jairus and his wife saw a miracle that no one else did. And FYI, that take her by the hand in the Greek, an aortis verb in the indicative mood. When he grabbed her by the hand, Dr. Luke is saying, this is another snapshot story. Here's the story. One touch from Jesus changes everything. One touch from Jesus takes everything, changes everything. The problem is, 
You can't get that touch from Jesus if you're not in a relationship with him. If you're not close enough to work yourself through the crowd, to risk getting through the awkward, to get to Jesus and saying, I will do what it takes to press towards you. Where's the touch come in? Yes, he meets us where we're at. Absolutely. But how many of us sit outside laughing or say, you know what, the things are just too big. I'm not going to work through that awkward to get to Jesus. I don't want the real healing. I'll stick to the superficial. I'll just, I'm a Christian. That's fine. Not truly placing our whole trust in Jesus to be touched by him. A snapshot story is one touch from Jesus changes everything. And whether it's a relationship with Jesus or a relationship with each other, every healthy relationship is going to take risk. And the third story that we'll sum up quickly to wrap our homecoming series up is actually going to be found in the biography of Jesus written by Mark. So if you're in Luke right now, just jump back one book in your Bibles. And this is going to be in Mark chapter 10. And like every other story we've read, Jesus finds himself surrounded by people. And in this moment, a very rich young ruler is about to approach him with an awkward relationship. It says this, and I'll be reading from the New International Version, a little different than the NLT that I read from normally. So in verse 17, it says this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. This man, he enters into a relationship with Jesus in a pretty humble way, doesn't he? He's on his knees before Jesus. He's, he's in this place where he bows and he shows interest in what Jesus does, eternal life. And he seeks out wisdom. What a great start to a relationship here. Well done to this religious ruler. And so Jesus answers his question about eternal life with listing some of the Ten Commandments. And these Ten Commandments that he's listening to are all, I would call, horizontal relationship commandments. How do you treat people? How do you treat each other? What kind of relationships do you win with everybody? And, and this man, he's all excited because he positively responds, man, I've been owning this since birth. Like, I have been all about these things. I've got this, almost with this expectation, I imagine, of eternal life is mine and then Jesus kind of turns it a little bit to awkward in verse 21 by saying, Jesus looked at him and the emotion that Jesus feels here. What is this? Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Well, that just got real awkward real quick. You just listed 10 commandments. He said, I'm doing it. And he said, great, go sell everything. It was evident to Jesus that this man came from money some way. I don't know if it was his clothes, his speech, um, or it just it was known. But Jesus doesn't have any issues with this guy's money. He has no issues with this man's money at all. But in his love for him, he has a care for the hold that money has on his heart. Jesus takes a risk by bringing up the obvious elephant in the room. 
And he gives them this long-term plan to stick to. Listen, go sell it all. You want eternal life, sell it all. Give it all away. I think he tells them this because, uh, you know, if he sells it all, he can't get it back. Now, if he was like, oh, Jesus, sure, I I won't sell it all. I'll just put it all in the bank just in case this following you thing gets awkward, weird, and it's not what I expected. If it gets to that awkward stage and I don't want to risk anymore, I still have my safety net of stuff I can go back to. If he truly wants to follow Jesus, he gives it all up. What do you have to fall back on then? Nothing. This is risk. It's going to take commitment. And in verse 22, it tells us that it this. The man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus struck a nerve with him, didn't he? I think it just got too real for him. So he left. And the word sad here that we read is better translated grieved. He went away grieving in this moment. I think it's important to understand that we just announced together that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus was not out to shame him or to make his life a wreck. He wanted him to have the full life and the full love of Jesus, and he couldn't do that while he was attached to something else. If we want to have healthy relationships, not only is it going to take risk, but healthy relationships are going to take commitment. Healthy relationships take commitment. You can't turn and run from relationships when they get hard. You have to be in it for the long haul, staying committed to the relationships that bring us life. This is a promise that so many of us make in our wedding vows, right? We say this, but in a me over we culture like we live in, there's always a safety net and getting out of any commitment is really always on the table. How can I get out of this? And any healthy relationship, you're going to have to journey through the awkward, the tough, the grieving some of what you're going to have to leave behind in order to get to the intimate, trusting, life-giving joy that God has designed for us in relationships. And if we keep leaving relationships when they get hard or require something from us instead of something for us, we are bound to spend most of our lives in a crowd yet all alone, in our living room, yet not part of our family or in a church and never part of community. I fear too many of us run from the relationships that we're in. Jesus invited this man to follow, not just till things get better, did he? How many of you say, I'll follow Jesus. If you help me on this, I'll commit to you forever. And it's like, yeah, but I passed the test. All right, good, I'm good. I can go back to doing what I want. If you get me through this, I'll stop. What fake false lies and do we spew to God? He doesn't need us to promise and beg and barter with him. He invites us into a transparent, long-haul relationship with him. And I need to tell you that I know there's people that you've placed your trust in and who have let you down. There's people that you're like, I thought I was in this for the long haul, and they they changed, they did this. Maybe, Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a kid. 
Maybe it was your parents. And it's not just like it has to be in your family. It's people at work. It's people in the world. It's people in the church. If you've placed your trust and we've been in relationship together and I've let you down, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Maybe someone else at Crossbridge has let you down. I'm sorry. Maybe someone at a different church let you down. I'm sorry. You don't deserve that. You don't. But don't let that be the excuse why you can't jump into a relationship with people again. Don't let someone else's baggage and issues stop you from entering into and risking the awkward, working through that to get to a real relationship. And the reason I say don't let that happen is because we use those excuses and we generalize and say, well, then all people are like this that go to church. I can go, I'll get in, I'll get out, and I'll be fine. If I could just touch his robe and leave before saying hi to people, I win. No, you don't. You've lost. You've lost. What have you shown up for? A snack of Jesus? Please, that's not going to sustain you this week. We need each other. This is why at Crossbridge we push so hard for our small groups. Do you have to work through the awkward to get to the real? Welcome to every small group. If you're part of a small group right now, just go ahead and raise your hand if it's ever gotten awkward. Okay, good. Yes. Oh, please, if you're a teenager, I know your groups get awkward. You have the best small groups ever. I hear about it every Tuesday. It's, the, it's my favorite. Listen, it's going to get awkward, so why not just embrace it? Why not just say, fine, you know what? I'll risk again. And find a group that works for you. There's groups all the time. There's some that meet in person. There's some that meet online. So if you're with us online and you're thinking, oh, I'm out of it. No, you're not. We've got a place for you too. I know that working through the awkward to get to the real is hard and you have to have this. And I can say I, I, I find myself as an unbelievably blessed man today because I can stand here to say, I know what it's like to do this and to work through this. And these relationships that I, I'm so grateful for the guys in my small group. I was having breakfast with someone yesterday and saying one of my favorite things is that as I go to Wednesday nights, this isn't a work thing as a pastor. This is for me. This fuels my life. And I don't want to go through Thursday and Friday if I didn't have my Wednesday. I need this. It's so important to me. I don't know how you make it through the end of your week. Who do you have that's building into you? I know that I have this every day when I walk home. My wife knows everything about me. And is, does it get awkward? Absolutely, because I've made a vow never to lie to her. So she can ask me anything at any time. And the answer will always be there. Why? Because I'd rather work through that stuff to have a healthy marriage so that when the enemy tries to lie to me, I don't need it here. I believe enough lies. I need this transparent. Where are you plugging in? Where is your family so that you know you don't have to come and feel left out? Find a small group to be a part of. And if you're thinking, I don't know that I'm in a place where I could be part of a small group, the last thing I want to give you an invitation to before we close with communion is simply starting um, in two weeks on Thursdays, we'll be doing an Emotionally Healthy Spirituality small group. 
And this is a small group that's simply going to be Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. at the Classy Cow, where we'll meet in person to go through this. And I will tell you, there's been no more life-changing small groups that we've had when it comes to transformation and working through some of the tough stuff than this group. We usually start with a decent amount, and by week three, week four, people are like, well, that was really more awkward than I wanted. I know. But we're going to work through the awkward. We could do this. We could risk together. I'll be teaching this and just gathering together, and I want to encourage you. If you don't have a small group, you're not sure what to do, just come and commit to this. We've got books out there that you can grab and you can get ready for. The expectation is you will read this. If you don't, it's going to get more awkward when I'm like, hey, did you read? Nope. Why? What? You're not allowed to ask that. Yes, I am. I am. I don't want anybody who calls Crossbridge home to feel like they're sitting in a living room all alone. Take the risk. Make the commitment. And then every Sunday feels like homecoming when you see your family. This is what it's about. Would you pray with me today as uh, I invite Brett up? He's going to lead us in communion and um, this morning. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you've called us home and you've called us into relationship that's healthy. And it is always awkward and it always is going to take risk. Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage to first be bare before you and risk placing our trust in you, not just saying it, but man, really doing it. God, I pray that this would be a community of people who make a commitment to each other that we will never back down from, that we will know that there's someone there that's family that sticks closer than a brother, and we see you in our relationships with each other. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys? Oh, good. We're on now. Um, so as we celebrate communion, I, I wanted to take an opportunity to say something specific. I encourage you guys to today celebrate communion. And what I mean by that is if you're normally very contemplative, like I would be, uh, taking communion, I encourage you to kind of just to, to celebrate like it's a good thing. Um, <laughs> instead of like a somber mentality where, you know, we got to be serious. Um, because it's going to sound really weird, but I encourage you to celebrate the breaking of Christ's body, the, the bleeding that Christ had to go through for us. And I know that sounds really weird, but I want you to kind of lean into it where it's a happy thing. Because um, it is. <laughs> so uh, really quick, what I'd like you to do is take out the body. Some of you guys might be a little bit more in tune with this. Maybe this is part of your tradition. Um, but I encourage you to celebrate the breaking of his body. So could you please snap that wafer in half, even if you don't normally, and listen to that nice crisp crunch? <laughs> and so it's really important, at least I, th I think it should be, is you know, Christ said, do this in remembrance of me, um, that we do this trying to remember him. And I want to kind of insert that celebration into it. And so, would you celebrate the breaking of Christ's body with me? Okay. And in the same way, I want, I want us to kind of celebrate the, the bleeding that Christ had to do to ensure our salvation. Um, and so, would you please celebrate the blood of Christ? Okay. 
Um, and so that's that's really the only thing I wanted to do today <laughs> um, was just to kind of insert that celebration of Christ where normally we're just super somber about communion. And especially if you've had like a different church background where it's like dead silent. Um, I just I just want to take a chance to celebrate that with you guys. And so uh, those of us that are attending on chur uh, church online, thank you for showing up. Um, hopefully you had some kind of elements to, to participate and celebrate with us. Um, but at this point, we're going to be done. Um, those of you that are in person, if you would stick around for a little bit um, for an ending prayer, that would be great. Thank you.